Welcome to another episode of the Duomo Trading Podcast. It's been a long time since we had a podcast episode. I think it's about a year or something like that. But for those of you that have been waiting for new podcast episodes, the good news is that we'll have new ones coming out every week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And for this one, it may be something that you've seen before on our YouTube channel, but we're going to be covering the story of one of the most famous traders of all time is Jesse Livermore. He's someone that's inspired many traders through many generations. And I think it's kind of an inspiring story. There are some downsides to it as well, but it's definitely one that we can learn many things from. So without further ado, here is the story of Jesse Livermore. If you were to ask professional traders to name the people that have influenced their development in trading, you'll find very few people cited more often than Jesse Livermore. This is largely thanks to the part biographical, part fictional account of Livermore's life in the famous book, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, which is usually top of the list of most useful and influential trading books of all time. However, what's so fascinating about Jesse Livermore and what makes him such an amazing person for traders to learn about is the polarity of his successes. On one hand, you have someone that has scaled the absolute heights of success in the market, someone that we can use as an example of what you can achieve if you work hard to truly understand the skill of trading and how the markets function. But on the other hand, within the same person's story, you also have clear examples of the pitfalls of trading and how disastrously wrong things can go if you don't remain cautious about the markets and if you allow complacency to creep into your trading. Despite Livermore trading a century ago, his approach to a large extent is still absolutely relevant today. His approach to trading in many ways was ahead of its time and his wisdom and observations in many cases are timeless. This is his story. Jesse Livermore was born on the 26th of July 1877 in Massachusetts. His father was a farmer and his mother was a homemaker. Jesse learned to read and write by the time he was just three and a half years old, and by the age of five, he was already reading through financial newspapers. He attended grammar school and, unsurprisingly, was very good with numbers, particularly mental arithmetic. In fact, while at school, he claims that he completed three years worth of arithmetic in just one year. At the age of 14, under his father's insistence, he left school and finished his education. His father, who had also dropped out of school at 14 to become a farmer, wanted Jesse to join him and devote his life to farming. However, Jesse was devastated by this idea. He wanted to continue with his love of numbers and arithmetic and to carve out his own path in life. Due to this burning desire, his mother agreed to help Jesse to run away from home and to keep it secret from his father. She sent him packing with just $5 in his pocket, which would be roughly equivalent to over $100 in terms of today's money. Jesse got his first job as a chalk boy for a brokerage firm called Payne Webber while he was still just 14 years old. He'd been in the firm looking around, and because one of the boys was off sick, he was asked if he could step in. He was soon given a permanent position. 
This was an ideal job for him because of his love of numbers. Prices would come through the ticker tape and be called out, and then he would write them all on the chalkboard for the customers to be able to see. While he was working at this job, he became so fascinated with the way that prices moved that he started keeping a little notebook. Since he could clearly remember all the numbers and prices at the end of the day, he would write these out in his notebook and observe the patterns in the way that they moved. He kept this as his own little hobby or project outside of his work as a chalk boy. Up until this point, Livermore hadn't done any trading, as he believed that you needed to have a lot of money to be able to participate. However, it was whilst working as a chalk boy that he was first introduced to bucket shops. The bucket shops were almost like betting shops, where you could back a particular stock based on whether it was going to go up or down without actually needing to invest in the underlying asset. You could do this with low amounts of money and on very thin margin, and the bucket shop would be taking the other side of your bet. Livermore decided this would be a good opportunity to test out his work and see if his theories about prices actually would work out in the market. He would check his notebook where he'd been recording figures and patterns in the movement of prices and then decide which trades to play on. Jesse started using his system to play at the bucket shops on his lunch hour and the first profit he ever made was just over $3. However, it wasn't long before he was making more money than he was in his day job so he decided to quit this to focus more on this hobby full time. At 15 years old, Jesse had made $1,000 from trading at the bucket shops, which is roughly the equivalent to $25,000 in terms of today's money. Jesse continued to do well against the bucket shops by following his own system, and one by one, the bucket shops began to ban him because of the amount of money that he was earning at their expense. He would even have to resort to using a disguise so that he could carry on trading, but word did get around and eventually everyone at the bucket shops knew who he was anyway. Eventually, he was banned from the majority of the bucket shops in his town. By the age of 20, Livermore had accumulated his first $10,000. However, this reduced massively by the age of 21 to $2,500. He says that if he stuck with his system, he would make more profits than losses, as his system would usually win around 70% of the time. However, most of his losses came unnecessarily when he would not stick with his own system, a problem that a lot of traders have to overcome at some point in their career. At the age of 21, having been banned from most of the bucket shops in Boston, Jesse took his $2,500 and decided to move to New York to start trading legitimately at the New York Stock Exchange. In New York, it wasn't long before Jesse gained a reputation for being a winning trader. But soon after, he lost his money once again. It seemed his winning formula was only designed for winning at bucket shops and not for the real stock exchange. He went to St. Louis to go back to betting at bucket shops and to increase his money once again. This was a new town for him with new bucket shops, so he thought they wouldn't know who he was. But he did eventually get recognized again, and again he was banned from the shops. Instead, his solution was to send in people on his behalf. He managed to actually make enough money by doing this to be able to go back to trading in New York. 
Although he had already started to make a name for himself around trading circles, Livermore first became famous for his trading during the Panic of 1907. It was during this time that he managed to earn $1 million in one day. He made his money by shorting the market as it crashed. By the end of the crash, he was worth $3 million. At this point, he knew the market was in a bad way and that it was possible for it to move even more negatively. He had already decided, therefore, that he would do what he could to avoid a deeper crisis when he then received a request from the financier JP Morgan, who was putting together a plan to try to bring the market back to health. Livermore looked up to JP Morgan, so he was more than happy to help. He began buying as many stocks as he could, which also led other people to taking the same action. Thanks to this, the market started to recover, and many people that followed Livermore's lead also made a lot of money. As a result of this, in some circles, Livermore was branded a hero. But of course, he himself had also acquired a new level of wealth, which meant that he could now live in luxury, enjoying things such as yachts and becoming part of the elite, going out to the most exclusive clubs and enjoying life in a city as a young, rich bachelor. To keep up with his new expensive lifestyle, he turned back to trading. There are certain aspects of Jesse Livermore's trading approach that have been well documented. One of the main things was his desire to work completely on his own. However, in 1908, he broke his own rule of not taking advice from other people. He trusted a tip from a famous cotton trader. The cotton trader told Livermore to keep buying cotton, which Livermore did against his own instincts. But at the same time as this, the trader as well as others were actually selling in the market, leading the price to move heavily against Livermore. As a result of this, he lost 90% of everything that he had earned during the 1907 crash. Throughout the following years, Livermore's losses grew deeper and deeper, until finally he ended up with a debt of $1 million and had to declare bankruptcy by 1915. Without a stake to be able to begin trading again, he had to ask for some help. He was offered a trading facility of just 500 shares to get started again, but Livermore knew he had to play this one perfectly. So, he spent six weeks just tape reading in the markets before finally making his move. The result of this trade was a success and he finally had a stake to be able to begin trading properly with again. Unsurprisingly, given the rollercoaster ride that was Livermore's trading career, over the next couple of years, Livermore managed to earn his fortune back again and pay off his debts. Newspapers from 1917 report headlines such as Boy Plunger scores comeback in operations on Wall Street, and they spoke of the shrewd young speculator who made and lost millions in a stock market and then came back and made more millions. In 1922, Jesse Livermore took part in a series of interviews with Edwin Lefebvre for a series of articles. These interviews eventually led Lefebvre to writing the book Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, which is one of the most highly regarded trading books of all time. 
The book is a fictitious biography of Livermore and details his ups and downs in life and in investments. It's thought that the book could actually be the true story of Livermore's life based on the interviews, but some also think it could be completely made up. The book became very popular and is still one of the most popular investment books to this day. It was shortly after this that Livermore decided to move to a new office to have more secrecy with his trading and to be even more removed from Wall Street. Livermore began noticing certain patterns occurring in the market leading up to 1929. These were similar patterns to those that he observed in the build-up to the crash of 1907. Feeling confident about the hunch he had, he began opening short trades in anticipation. At one point, he was even living in his office just so he could keep placing trades in the lead-up to what he expected to be a huge negative movement. Of course, the boy plunger Livermore was correct and he enjoyed the most successful period of trading of his entire life. By the end of the crash, Livermore was worth around $100 million, which is over $1.4 billion in terms of today's money. Most people had lost their money during the crash, which was known as Black Tuesday. After making it to $100 million after the crash of 1929, Livermore started to lose that fortune rapidly. No one knows the true reasons why or how Livermore lost this fortune, as it's never been disclosed. There have only ever been speculations. During this time, things were extremely unsettled in Livermore's private life. This included getting a divorce from his second wife, who also went on to shoot his son at a later point in time. Livermore had spent time in Vienna and met his third wife, Harriet Metz, whose last husband had committed suicide. Livermore's children didn't like to be around her, since they felt darkness from her and knew that she didn't want them around. In fact, they even went as far as to call her the Bitch Witch. Eventually, Livermore had to declare bankruptcy again. This was his third time. Although he was bankrupt, he still believed he could make a comeback as he had done so many times before. But after all the pressure and emotional strain of everything that had happened in work and in his personal life, it was too much to take and he wasn't able to do it. Another contributing factor to not being able to start again on Wall Street was that he now relied on his wife's money and he had got comfortable. He didn't have the same drive or passion as he did in his former days. On November the 28th, 1940, Livermore was found dead in the cloakroom of the Sherry Neverland Hotel in Manhattan, aged 63. He had tragically shot himself. It's clear that the story of Jesse Livermore is one of a highly skilled trader who understood price activity and how to operate successfully in the markets. This led to some fantastic successes, which we can all learn from as investors and as traders. However, his downfall in trading was also due to problems that many traders struggle with. 
He wasn't able to avoid being influenced by his private life and he struggled to stick with his trading rules and system, which would have helped him to avoid many, many losses. Now, many of these rules are still useful today. They can help us try and avoid some of the losses that Livermore made, while hopefully helping us to move closer to enjoying some of the success in the markets that he did. So here are some of the rules that you can follow and you'll also find some books in the description box of this video that do a great job of detailing Livermore's trading approach and life. So we definitely recommend checking some of those out. Nothing new ever occurs in the business of speculating or investing in securities and commodities. Money cannot consistently be made trading every day or every week during the year. Don't trust your own opinion or back your judgement until the action of the market itself confirms your opinion. Markets are never wrong, opinions often are. As long as the stock is acting right and the market is right, do not be in a hurry to take profits. One should never permit speculative ventures to run into investments. Never buy a stock because it has had a big decline from its previous high. Never sell a stock because it seems high priced. Never average losses. Wishful thinking must be banished. Big movements take time to develop. It is much easier to watch a few than many. So guys, that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using so that you can make sure you don't miss out on any of the new episodes that we have coming out. And do you know what? We would love it if you left a little review for us. That's going to help more people find us and start enjoying this content as well. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.